We love to work. Work towards your goals. Show your work. Work harder. But what if we could learn to play instead? Play towards your goals. Show your play. Play harder. Today I'm chatting with Reddy, aka Ready to Go. He's all about learning to play and playing to learn. Let's jump into the conversation. Hey, Reddy. Thanks so much for coming along and taking the time to be with me today. Hey, James. I'm so kicked about this. I mean, like, this is something that I really love talking about. And then the moment you said, I actually saw your previous video with Allison. Mm -hmm. And I think I heard it like twice or thrice. I was like, so, I mean, like, I really love Allison as a person and as the way he's been talking about education and his, you know, adventures through education. And... I was really excited to hear him on the podcast and I was like, wow. So we were talking about it and he said, hey, you know what, you should be on that as well. And then you pinged me and said, hey, you know what, jump on a call. And I was like, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Allison. <laughs> yeah. Allison actually told me like after the call I was like, hey, you should have ready on. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Because, you know, we, we met briefly during building a second brain, but I was yeah. I was busy mentoring and we didn't have much time to chat. But I love your message of 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 learning as play and and it's been it's been awesome so i'm excited to get to know you a little more tell me what what does play mean to you because that's such a big word yeah you know that that it, it is such a big word right i mean i was thinking about it myself and i had i started off i thought i'll make one video about what play means to me and then that turned into like a whole series of videos and i'm like trying to figure out like where there's going to be an end but, you know, in a sense, I, I think it's just, to put it simply in one sentence, is a celebration of the moment, mm. right? Right here, right now, whatever I'm happy is just going to come out in action in the way I play, right? So if I'm really happy and I start, like, moving my body just happy and I'm dancing, like, essentially, I'm playing with my body. I'm playing with movement, Right. If I'm so happy that I'm singing in the shower, essentially I'm I'm playing with sound. Right. I'm playing with my voice. I'm playing with music. I'm playing. Right. So anything and everything you do that seems celebratory is is just a play. It's just play that happens right then, right then in the moment. And that's that's exactly what got me on this whole obsession with play was was, believe it or not, was the pandemic. Right. I mean, everyone around had this constant fear that it felt like doomsday people felt like they were going to die and people were actually dying right there were people actually dying and this was something unprecedented in the history of our planet as far as we know it right and we know it in the sense that it's real time happening right now and it's something like that there, there are hurricanes there are earthquakes there are tsunamis happening but this is the first time something has hit everyone across the globe at practically the same time right and in the middle of this entire looming specter of death somehow i stumbled upon this idea that i should be playing with the time i have right here right now mm. because what if i were to get covid and die tomorrow Right. So yeah. it's funny, right? We decided we started talking about play and I've gone off this morbid path, but that's exactly the, the, the subject that brought me on to play. So to me, it's a celebration of the moment right here, right now, because I don't know if I'm going to be alive tomorrow or not. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. 
I love that framing of, of play as celebration. That's a really cool way to think about it. We went from play to, to death real fast, but you know, this is one thing that, that I find uh, curious or one thing that I think about a lot is, you know, how can we tackle serious problems like, like COVID or, you know, any serious problem. It doesn't have to be as, as serious as that and, and still approach it in a playful manner. Like how can we, how can we take seriousness and also play with it at the same time and still reach whatever goals we have? Is that even possible? It, it does seem contrary, right? It just seems like you're either working or you're playing. You either got like a finite goal in mind and you're working towards your goals. You never say I'm playing towards your goals, right? Mm -hmm. You always say, you know what? I have this goal. I have this aim. I have this thing that I want to reach towards and I'm working towards it, right? So if I say I want to lose weight or I want to work out, the word work is even in workout, right? Yeah. There's practically nothing you can think of that is serious, substantial, quantifiable and tangible that has the word play in it. So the moment you hear the word play, it just feels frivolous. It just feels like casual. It just feels like something that has no purpose or meaning in life. And I'm kind of obsessed with proving otherwise. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So I don't know if I answered the question, but in a sense, I think if I were to think about play in terms of seriousness, right? If you look at like for me right now, since I've been obsessed with this concept, I've been going about it in a way completely anti the academic way, right? So I'm not reading. In fact, I haven't even read James Cass's book, you know, Finite and Infinite Games. Yeah, It's there in my reading list. I've got it there. I've got a hundred recommendations. It's all plus one in my book, but I, I haven't by choice read the book because I don't want to read anything from the outside. I don't want to study the concept of play. I just want to like explore it mm. through insights, through observations, and to actually stumble on it or to you know play with the concept of play. That's exactly what I'm doing right now. So what I do is I, I watch animals, I watch kids, I watch babies, because according to me, they are the experts. No adult human being can educate me on the concept of play as an expert because it's the kids who are actually playing who are the experts. It's the animals who are actually playing who are the experts because they're doing it. It's play as a verb rather than play as a noun. Yeah, it's it's like incredible to me how, you know, watching watching animals grow up, watching children grow up and how quickly they learn through play and it's just all this natural fun environment right like yeah. lion cubs learn how to hunt and kill and all this really you know really technically difficult stuff uh just by you know tussling with their with their siblings and and running around and tripping and falling and all these sorts of things and there's something about play that is just it, it's it's a beautiful way to learn and as adults somehow that's been totally stripped from us, right? It's it's interesting to note that, like, at least here in the U.S., elementary schools have playgrounds and kids can go run and jump and, and, and play. But as soon as you get to middle school, there's there's no more playground. There's a, a concrete floor. <laughs> you know, maybe there's a basketball hoop or something. And the rest of the time, 
we we tell kids to sit down in a chair and sit straight and look forward and there's no more movement right and then we wonder why people aren't exercising and we wonder why people are you know children are struggling to focus in class well there's no we've we've stripped the play we've made it completely serious and of course it's going to be hard to learn it's it's no fun yeah i guess i didn't i didn't pose a question for you but there's a point somewhere in in our lives when we stop playing when we go from just exploring and trying things and being okay with failing to like oh no what if someone sees me fail or oh no what if what if i fail and i really get hurt or what will happen if i do this i better not do it what do you think makes that shift happen one and two what do you think we can do to sort of prevent or delay that shift that's a lovely question i love that i've been thinking about it a lot and I usually try to minimize I love to have long lengthy questions but I like to minimize my answers as short as possible to begin with because that helps me streamline my thinking. Yeah. So in one word the answer would be danger. Mm. Right? If you think of the same lion cub example it's all fun and games until it's actually about to get mauled or it's not going to get food and starved to death if it doesn't if it isn't able to kill you know a deer or an antelope or something else or if it wanders into another lion's territory and it's about to get killed for encroaching on that right so it's danger that suddenly turns what is playful into you know from actual play fighting it becomes real life threatening battle like I have a whole bunch of kittens at home. I probably have like you know ten cats at any given point of awesome. time. Yeah, it's really awesome, ranging from all ages, like from newborns to like you know grandmothers. So, the newborn kittens are always play fighting. From you know it's practically sixteen hours a day they're play fighting, right? So the rest of the time they're sleeping or feeding or they're play fighting. That's just it. That's all they do. But it's amazing. They have these really sharp claws. but they never you know they never open the claws out and swipe at each other so when mm-hmm. they do it they do it with like sheath paws and the claws don't actually come out right and it's amazing how they have that kind of uh, ability to know that this is just play and i don't need it's a kind of like an instinctual programming that they don't actually pull their claws out and to the extent that even when they catch like a mouse or something they don't know what to do with it they don't know that they can eat it they're just playing with it yeah they don't even know that they can kill an animal they don't know what to do with it and that little mouse isn't even dead <laughs> but these guys don't know what, how to kill it they're just standing there they don't know it's still a game for them they're just playing with it they don't know and even if they do mistakenly kill it they don't know they can eat it it's just lying there they lose interest and then they walk away because it's no longer playing back with them mhm and to bring it back to the human context i think there's this fear that you know if you don't stop playing and start taking your life seriously you're going to be in danger because you're not going to be able to get a job you're not going to be able to make money and you're not going to be able to make money then you won't have you know you won't be able to raise your family and everyone's going to die because of you so you know there's this it, it sounds macabre but in a sense it's actually the danger and the seriousness of life that gets to you i mean if you look at it play is the beginning of our lives 
and play is the end of our lives right even in terms of learning when you start playing with any new subject it's all fun it's all a game it's not serious and at somewhere in the middle of that journey let's say you know for example if you look behind me there's a drum kit there right so it's just two days old nice i have no background in music none whatsoever and i just decided i'm going to play with music right so love it so <laughs> somebody suggested you know let's play the drums and so i was on this inter intellect salon right and there was a salon on curiosity and i made a curiosity partner who said hey you know what she suggested we play the drums and i was like i don't know i mean i don't have a drum kit and then all of a sudden it just said i said hell with it let's play let's play with the drums but i ha- i now started a new experiment i got the drum kit i decided i'm not going to open a single youtube video on how to play drums i'm not going to take an online course on how to play the drums i'm not going to find an actual physical instructor to come home and teach me how to play the drums neither am i going to like bump into you know read a book on how to play the drums i'm just going to hit the drums you know till i get bored right so this is like an experiment in play i've given myself 30 days of 30 minutes every day of hitting the drums to see if i can actually learn something through just through play cool right. i'm excited to see <laughs> what you come up with in 30 days <laughs> yeah so i'm excited as well like that according to me is is the reason i probably will make it to 30 days because mm-hmm. there's so many subjects that i've tried to learn through the traditional path but i've never actually gotten to the end because i lose interest yeah right and but if you look at it i mean just think of einstein right picture einstein what's the one image that comes to your head you know him thinking yeah you know, there's that the iconic photograph of him right with his tongue sticking out yeah right there you go right now that's einstein the most you know one of the most genius scientists on the planet in the most playful moment captured and that has become the iconic image that we remember him by right and then there's richard feynman somebody i just saw it on twitter recently there's this outfit of him dressed like almost like i think he looked like david bowie you know he was just dressed like a complete freak and you know. so and he's someone who's again known for being really playful mm-hmm. right so if you look at people who are real you know who are experts at their field they eventually gravitate back towards play so it's kind of like a zen circle you start from play you go into seriousness and then you come back to complete playfulness so you have people who are at the peak of their fields again playing with their subject rather than taking it seriously like everyone else in the middle of the journey in the middle of the learning curve who are stuck with tradition bound by rules obsessed with following processes right and that's where if you look at that curve of learning i think the play at the beginning is getting crushed into barely anything at all and then the play at the end is barely non-existent chill again so the entire learning curve or the learning circle has become almost entirely serious work yeah and i think that's why you know that's where we're going wrong it's so interesting you you pull up this arc of of play you know towards seriousness and back to play again as you reach an expert level cuz this is 
I think this is such a common thing for people to go, Oh, I want to, you know, I want to lose weight. So I'm going to jump straight into doing everything perfectly for 30 days or, uh, you know, I want to learn the guitar or the drums. And, uh, the first thing I'm going to do is, is go find a, a boring dry lecture on, on the internet about, you know, the, the perfect fundamentals for learning how to play the drums. And we all, totally misunderestimate the power that play has for adherence to a, a new thing, right? If it doesn't matter how perfect your practices or how great of instruction you have, if you don't want to stick to whatever you're learning, right? And this, this, this section of play at the beginning is so essential to getting you interested and invested in what you're doing that eventually, you know, if you keep going out to edit with the drums, eventually you might reach a point where you go, okay, now I need a teacher and now I need to drill the fundamentals. But because you're ready, you'll always have it in the back of your mind that like, okay, once I get, once I get these like fundamentals totally practiced, I can go back to, to just jamming and having fun. And I think that's, that's the path to learning that that really excites me. Like there's a, like on my website, I have this tagline, like master boring fundamentals and then play infinite games because once you have these fundamentals you can be the expert you can be like Feynman you can be like Einstein where they they're so ingrained in, in physics knowledge that they can play with these new concepts and, and come up with with brilliant things but I'm now thinking that maybe I should add more play at the start of that 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 uh, little tagline because yeah getting getting started and just having fun with it is such a huge deal I, I love it how would you recommend someone who's you know, maybe they're taking their life really seriously and they're like, oh, I want to, I want to make more money. I want to be more productive. I want to be healthier. And they're not incorporating play at all into their life. How would you suggest that they get started, you know, getting comfortable with playing again? So actually started, in fact, it was really funny because I actually started writing a book on this and I had this concept of I thought of play as like, you know, the symbol play, which you see it on, you know, VCRs mm. on your, you know, your symbol triangle of play. So the way I looked at it in my own life as an adult, I first needed to stop, right? So I first needed to stop doing everything that I was doing that was work oriented, right? So in this case, in my own case, as an unplayful adult, I had to actually imagine, I had to stop everything that I'm doing that was serious and work oriented. And I did that by imagining that I was dead, mm. right? I mean, this again started because the whole COVID thing. So I lost an uncle, a very close uncle just before COVID struck. Yeah, I'm you sorry. Know, my, I had a couple of cats die on me at the same time. So all of a sudden it was something very real, very close, and it was happening all over the world. Not that it doesn't happen before that, but it just was very in my face at this point of time. And I said, hey, so initially it started off as a very factual thing. Okay, look, if someone dies, what do I need to do? And I was suddenly dealing with all of these things, you know, their, their belongings, their leases, managing all the you know, logistics of it. And then it struck me. So what if I go? What if I die tomorrow? Right. So then I started making like a will. I started making like a digital will just in case because like, and then it struck me, what if I'm already dead? So it just happened, a thought in my head, right? That imagine I'm dead. So this is something that I actually do quite often. It's one of my favorite meditations where I meditate that I'm already dead. Mm -hmm. And it struck me at that point of time that 
if I'm dead, there's a full stop to my life. And at that point of time, rather than move forward, I can actually rewind and look back at my past. Right. So everyone says those, you know, that when you when you die, your life flashes before your eyes, like no one really knows because no one's ever come back <laughs> to tell us, this, you know, if that's true or not. But I think that's it's quite commonly accepted that, you know, when you die, there's a white light or there's like, you know, you see your life flashing by your eyes. And it struck me that maybe that's the rewind I need to hit. So first, if I'm unplayful, I hit stop. And then I hit rewind, I go back into my childhood, make peace with my past and remember the child in me. Right. And that's how I started writing. In fact, that's how I, got, I came online. That's how, you know, I started writing. I started doing the morning pages. I jumped on board David Perel's, you know, writer passage. And, you know, I started writing, started making friends online and communicating. You know, it started off with writing because that was something that I used to do as a child. And I used to draw and paint as a child. So I started illustrating. I started playing with my iPad. I started playing with colors. So again, that brings me to the play that I'm talking about, right? So when mm. we talk about play, we can't really jump into play directly from work. I think that's when things get derailed and people feel disoriented because you're already moving in one direction. And if you suddenly change gears without stopping or without slowing down and without reorienting yourself, it tends to fail, right? So, so after I stopped, rewound, and then I started playing. And I think, let's just take for now, right now, right? If I were to make this a lot more playful, and we are now talking with each other, right? So we're talking, we're playing with sound, mm -hmm. but we are stuck within the parameters of the English language. And we're both just playing with 26 alphabets yeah. pronounced a certain way, right? So imagine if I were to play with you right now and talk to you in a language that you don't understand. I go, I have no idea what I just said. You have no idea what I just said. But I'm just playing right now with the medium that we both are involved in, right? So you can play with sound, right? You can play with, you know, you can play with objects around you. You can just like pick up, like right now I'm in front of the computer and I'm looking at the screen and what if I were to move back? What if I move in front? What if I were to move this way? What if I were to move this way? I'm now, yeah, there you go. Yeah. See, so you're now exploring, you're playing with the space around you, right? So there's a certain sense of spatial play where I, I figure, what, what if I, how would I feel if I look at you like this? How would I feel if I look at you like this? What happens if I, if I lean forward? So in a sense, the moment you start doing something silly and irreverent, you've just teleported yourself into the play space. Mm. So if you ask me the easiest way for an unplayful adult to be playful again is just get irreverent and silly. We're on a podcast, you're recording, I'm, you know, a guest who's supposed to be, you know, making this a significant production, contributing to something that becomes, 
you know, a, something that people are going to look at, share, talk about and learn from. And I'm being silly. And, and I think that's the easiest way. The moment you start becoming silly, it's the easiest way possible to jump into a play space. Awesome. You almost have to break down this, like, you know, there's like a wall of seriousness. And once you, once you make funny noises or, or play with the space around you, <laughs> then you break that wall and suddenly it's okay for everyone to start playing again, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. But if you were to like think of it in terms of actual, like I gave you an example of sounds and, you know, sounds, but we could do anything, right? We could play with colors. Like for example, I don't know, I have just a single light right now, but I recently got like black lights put in my room so I could like turn the whole thing into like, you know, like a freaky 70s kind of a nice. setup. And um, we could play with identities. Right now I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm here talking about play or I could just now for the next instant, I could just pretend that I'm an investment banker and who's talking to you about stocks and shares and trading. And very serious. Yeah, very, very serious. And, you know, like I'm giving you serious tips which could make you a hell of a lot of money, man. Yeah. You better listen to me. Oh, what, what so, stock should I buy, man? <laughs> buy my stocks. <laughs> it's going to go up. Everyone's going to play. Everyone, everyone invests in ready to go. It's guaranteed return. So I think this is something, you know, you could play with breath. Right. So now, right now we're all breathing. That's something that's common we have with each other. So I could like take deep breaths. I could go like, I could imagine I'm breathing like a dog. So like dogs go like, they have rapid breathing. So it's like, <laughs> right. So it's, it's like rapid exhalation. Right. I, I don't know. I mean, like uh, you could just play, you could just be like, I could just hold my breath and pretend I'm, oh, guess what? I'm not going to breathe. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm not going to breathe as long as I can. So it's something you could do anything. You don't need a toy. You don't need a tool. You don't need technology. You don't need even a space because right here, right now, we turn this space that we are confined in into our playground, mm -hmm. right? And I made, you know, this interaction between us into something so right now rather than you know a podcast host and podcast guest right now we're playmates playmates who are like playing with each other mm -hmm. we're playing with sound we're playing with you know breathing we're playing with movement right so and together we're trying to create a playbook on how to play yeah. right so these are my three pillars at this point of time which i feel play rests on right so you need to have a playground you need to find the right playmates and you need to together create a playbook rather than take a doctrine given to you by someone else right awesome. so, so you need you need a playground a place to play you need playmates people to play with and you need a playbook some some constraints right it's funny you say that because you know and you haven't read infinite games and to, to be clear, I, I, it took me probably four years to actually read the book. <laughs> and I finally, I finally did it just because uh, I figured it, if I'm going to put infinite games on, on a tagline, I should probably read the book. <laughs> but, you know, you know, his biggest thing with infinite games is, is infinite, infinite players play with the rule book, you know, uh, as a part of play is establishing what that rule book looks like. And if we're both playing, 
and we're like, hey, this podcast rule book isn't fun anymore. We, we can, you know, we can do a whole podcast where we're talking about blah, 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 right? And, you know, maybe we could see what would happen if we tried doing that the whole time and, and if anyone would, would listen or how many people would leave. But, you know, as long as we're having fun, we're playing this infinite game. So I love that framing of those those three those three things. Yeah, I feel like the rule book maybe people might get hung up on. Oh, we're talking about play, and all your all of a sudden you're talking about setting rules. What's what's up with that? Why why the rule book with playing? Shouldn't it be free? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, like, in fact, I have one section that I'm writing the book which is entirely on rules, right? So, and I've actually made it very serious. So I said like these are rules of play. And the first rule is actually there are no rules, mm. right? So it's kind of like the first rule of Fight Club, you know, you don't talk about Fight Club. So this is kind of like the first rule of play is that there are no rules. But then again, right, the reason we have rules is just to ensure, excuse me, that unlike animals, human beings aren't, I think, like we like to think of the word being human as being compassionate, right? You correlate. So you often hear the phrase, be human, right? Or being human means you're being compassionate, you're being kind, and you associate animals with being wild, being cruel. It's a common you know, association, connotation, people's heads. But I think it's actually the other way around. Like I was talking about like the kittens and cats, if they can play 16 hours a day with each other, wrestling, you know, fighting all day long and not hurt each other at all, they must be doing something right. Because if you put two kids together in a playground or in a mud pit or in a sand pit, eventually they're going to need chaperoning because they start hurting each other, mm -hmm. right? At some point of time. Now, in case we don't want that to happen, which of course we don't want people to get hurt playing, right? Because that's the whole idea of play. That's what separates play from actual events. It's consequences. It's the danger of actual consequences. So like some rules are really important. So in a sense, if you were to just use the same paradigm of playgrounds, they have to be challenging, but then at the same time, they have to be safe, right? in terms of playmates, they have to be, you know, they have to be aggressive in the sense, otherwise they won't bring out the best in you, but then they can't be violent, mm -hmm. right? There's that fine line between aggression and violence. And then in terms of playbook, it has to be something that's explorative and not something that's driven down into you that you have to do this and you should not do that right yeah because otherwise you don't allow yourself that curiosity so while these can be rough guidelines like i just came up with a bunch of silly rules which i said like you know don't forget to smile don't be overconfident don't be in a hurry don't be careless don't compare yourself to others don't beat yourself up don't beat others up don't stop playing for the world don't give excuses don't gloat or sulk don't wait for others Right? So there's a whole bunch of silly rules which I put in there. But if you really look at it, the idea is just as simple as being kind to someone else and not really hurting people. Yeah. So you, you need the rule book to set a, a container and boundaries where inside, inside those boundaries, people can feel safe and can feel like 
they're able to play without being hurt, right? You mentioned the to be human is to be compassionate. And I was reading through some of your your newsletters and and in one of them you mentioned that creation is an act of caring. Can you say more about that? Sure. Uh, I actually probably lost the context right now. I think, you know, I've always thought of being an artist as someone who cares, right? In a sense, if you think of any medium of art, whether it's painting, whether it's drawing, whether it's writing, whether it's singing, whether it's playing a musical instrument, you can't be an artist if you're not fine, right? You need to be fine with your choice of words. You need to be fine with, you know, your use of the notes and the spaces between the notes. You need to be fine with the brush you're using. Everything requires a level of finesse, right? That's when you say, wow, and then you go like, that's graceful, right? So the words grace, finesse, always associated with really good artists. And I think that just comes from caring. You care enough that you want to put out your best output. You care enough that the person listening to what you're sharing or listening or hearing or reading, whatever, right? The person on the other side is going to be enthused, enthralled, you know, entertained, educated, you know, enlightened, whatever, right? You ex- you want to bring out the best possible reaction in your audience. And I think that shows that you actually care. So I think, you know, the act of creation is really an art of caring beyond yourself. I I mean, the instinct of self-preservation is is in every single one of us right so caring about myself is nothing nothing new all of us do it we all care about ourselves to a certain extent because we are hardwired with that instinct right and we care about you know our close ones families you know the loved ones we you know have a close circle with and i think as an artist as a creator you start caring about people beyond those you know, those inner circles. And I think yeah. that's why I look at creation as a, as something that is caring and affectionate. Well, I love that framing just because I think a lot of, a lot of media portrays artists as maybe selfish, like, oh, you're working on this useless thing or portrays creation as narcissistic, like, oh, you're, you're, you're just doing this to get attention, you know, yada, yada, yada. But I really do think that creation is is caring for your audience, is caring for your craft, and the, the framing of of caring puts you in a, a situation where the creator is allowed to be playful because it's not what they're doing is is caring. It's not a shameful thing or a narcissistic thing or a, a selfish thing. It's it's an act of caring. I think that's really powerful. And I also, you know, extended it recently in terms of completing the loop of care as a consumer, as the audience, as the person who's reading your article, or watching your video, listening to your podcast, I think I can complete that loop of caring and affection and, you know, concern and by reciprocating in whatever way possible, right? So we think of it in terms of, you know, the, the oldest thing in the book has always been money. So it's like you become a patron and, you know, you, you, you support the arts by you know, 
showering your wealth and blessings on it. But I think that's just one limited way of looking at it. I think every single one of us who are consumers of something that is created can complete that loop by actually giving feedback. Right? And even a hater actually falls under that, as terrible as that sounds. Haters are your fans too, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's actually giving you feedback, right? He or she is actually telling you how terrible you are, and maybe they're doing it just out of spite. But the fact that they're completing that loop still makes it part of the conversation. I think the worst you can do to an artist or creator is to completely ignore that person. Mm. Yeah, I mean, having having written online for a while and having sent out newsletters, I think, yeah, the worst feeling is when you get nothing back. <laughs> you know, I'd almost rather someone unsubscribe to my newsletter so I know that someone is looking at it than, than to have nothing, you know, to send something out and have crickets, right? And yeah, I, I love it when people write back and, and provide feedback or even even just say like, hey, thanks for this. You know, it, it's such a big, has such a big impact on the whole process. Like you called it a loop. And this is something that uh, I love I love doing on, on Twitter too. It's like, if I read a good article, I want to let the author know that, hey, I really enjoyed this article. And maybe they're swamped with emails, but I can't imagine that it would be a bad thing for them to receive some positive feedback about whatever they were working on. There's this really funny thing that I did with Austin Cleon's book. So I gave myself one of the f ways in which I wanted to play was I wanted to make myself a completely irreverent goal or rather impossible goal. So I said, I'm going to write 50,000 words or 20,000 words overnight. And, you know, I made a grand public announcement on Twitter and I said, yeah. hey, guess what? I'm going to write a book. So and I took Austin Cleon's book keep working and I actually you know he says steal like an artist right so yeah. I actually stole everything from his book so I wrote a book which says keep playing I even nice. drew the cover exactly like he says keep working and I drew keep playing and you know I actually made a I copied his table of contents and I just spun it off from a play perspective and I put it out there so I think it was something to me it was a feedback loop being completed. Mm -hmm. I'd read that book, I enjoyed the book, I loved the way he do it. He did it and you know, I enjoyed the phrasing of it in terms of keep working and you know, he's saying keep working and then I said, oh wait, I can call this clip playing and you know, because I just keep obsessing of turning work into play. So I'm always thinking work out, play out, workspace, play space, right? So I'm always trying to do that. And I said, hey, keep working can become keep playing. And I think, I don't think he actually responded to that tweet, but the fun thing was that I actually completed the loop, right? I could have given him a five-star rating on Amazon. I could have said, you know, amazing things that this made a lot of difference to me. And it did, but I think I played with the way I gave feedback by actually, it was like a, a pun on the concept of stealing like an artist and I actually stole his own work. And to me, there was a lot of fun in it. And I was very happy that I completed the loop and I think that's something that all of us could do because I think today we are consuming more content than ever in the history of this planet, of mankind on this planet, right? Yeah. Never before, I mean like, never, ever, ever before have people ever consumed so much content just this very single day. It's insane, the tomes of information that we're just, whoosh, 
right? It's insane. So I think if we don't complete that loop to some extent, we're really missing out on making the artist feel wanted, celebrated, and you know, feel like creating more. Yeah, yeah. It's so you know, the internet is so great in that anyone can put stuff out there and and make something and share it with the world. But then it becomes so much harder for that person to get any feedback or to get that closed loop because there's so much stuff. There's no way we could possibly look at all of it. And it 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 almost pains me to think about how much amazing amazing stuff you know amazing books amazing videos are out there and just you know no one's seeing it because it, we just can't you know it, it, it's it's too bad but that's you know that's that's the situation we're in and you can you can help play with creators by closing that loop by remixing their stuff by saying hey thanks you know by by doing these things i love it in fact i think one of the things that you know like for example i was thinking about play in terms of depth of emotion because again we always hear the phrase don't play with my emotions right mm. like every time you have a fight with a closed one or you know you're you're in the middle of a breakup or something there's this concept of you're playing with my emotions or quit playing with my emotions and but i think we really actually should be playing with emotions Right. So in a sense, I think we don't play enough with our emotions. In fact, we are hiding our emotions. We don't express what we're actually feeling. So it's it's actually what we should be doing. We should be playing with our emotions. We should be saying, hey, you know what? I'm feeling terrible. I'm feeling angry. This is how I'm feeling. We should probably be writing it out there. You know, like you have mood lighting, you have like, you know, colorful stuff. You know, maybe what if I would enter my house? And I could actually turn the lights to the color that reflects my mood, right? So I'm yeah. expressing to my partner that, look, this is the mood I'm in, right? The lights are red. That means I'm angry or I'm like, you know, disturbed or I'm, you know, right? Or if I'm like, I turn the lights blue and I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm actually blue. I'm in the dumps right now, right? And I think that's what we should be doing. We should be actually playing with our emotions sharing those emotions and letting people know what we're feeling and unfortunately most of us aren't even aware of what we're feeling at that point of time let alone being able to share it with someone else yeah. and i think that's because as children we are not allowed to play with our emotions we're not allowed to express ourselves we're, we're kind of forced to behave a certain way within the confines like a child you look at a child's face how do you know a child is a child and not an adult like the moment a child can fake a smile you know it's an adult mm. or you know it's on its way to being an adult the further back into childhood you go everything you feel is writ on your face you can't be angry and not show it you can't be sad and not show it yeah everything is written on your face right and as you become an adult you stop playing with those emotions you just hide them you stop playing with your feelings you just hide them you repress them you don't express them and then of course well it just bursts out one fine day and everyone gets hurt and you know you know how that goes yeah this has been such a big journey for me personally because i i've like really pushed out a lot of emotions thinking 
like, oh, these are these are irrational things, or like this is a part of me that I don't like, uh, so I'm going to suppress it and, and think logically. <laughs> and it, you know, that that type of thinking has done a lot of damage to my ability to express emotions and my ability to uh, realize when I'm feeling things like like anger. Right? These are are parts of us that are important to play with. Right? I like the the framing of um, what's the that Pixar movie Inside Out, where each of your emotions is a little character, and it in a sense it's it's helped me a lot to think about my emotions in that way and to to play with them, to interact with them as if we were all kittens again, and and you know like instead of allowing anger to completely consume me, I can now feel it and play with it and go oh like this is this is an emotion that I can express in a way that's not you know explosive and harmful for everyone but in a way that sets boundaries and makes everyone feel safer because that that part of me is is able to be expressed i think yeah i think more of us should play with emotions i think it's it's a fascinating uh subject that we just don't get to explore at all well we're coming up on the end of the hour and i, I want to thank you so much for your time and i'd love to keep chatting at a future date before we go i want to give you a chance to plug your stuff. So where, where can people find you online? I think Twitter is the best place because I just love to have a conversation. So at ready to go, R-E-D-D-Y, numeral two, G-O, and we're good to go. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a great chat and hope to see you soon. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. I've had a great time.